everyone, this is Leslyn Keith. I'm president of the board of directors at the Lipedema Project and director of research. Welcome to Living Well with Lipedema. Today, I have an excerpt from a presentation by Dr. Gary Fetke at our Innovative Solutions for Lipedema and Lymphedema virtual symposium that was held in October 2021. Dr. Fetke is an orthopedic surgeon in Tasmania who has come under fire from Australian health authorities for recommending that his patients reduce their carbohydrate intake in order to prevent the need for amputations from diabetes. In this excerpt, Dr. Fecti talks about carbohydrates, insulin, and lipedema. Thank you for the opportunity to speak at a lipedema conference as an orthopedic surgeon. I will not be talking about surgical management as an option in lipedema as I think uh, the primary option of this discussion is around conservative management. Today I've been asked to speak about the role of carbohydrate in our general health with relevance to lipedema. That information should allow you to support your decision making in restricting carbohydrate intake as an option in turning around some of the processes in lipedema, but in particular in relation to inflammation and weight control. Higher levels of insulin and insulin-resistant states are now recognised to have a central role in lipedema pathology. Reducing insulin is best done by reducing carbohydrate intake. That is where the role of lower carbohydrate diets and ketogenic diets have a role to play. Giving you a greater understanding about what carbohydrate does to you may aid in the whole process of you adhering to lower carbohydrate eating habits and seeing that as a lifestyle choice rather than a restrictive diet. There is a growing awareness of the damage done by excessive carbohydrate intake. How many of our health issues, not just lipedema, are related to the carbohydrate? How much is too much and what alternatives do we have? And it may surprise you that to see that anything more than one teaspoon is treated by the body as being toxic. It all comes down to biochemistry. We managed to evolve over two and a half million years and get to the top of the food chain as hunter-gatherers. We were eating fresh local seasonal food, which by definition was low in carbohydrates and higher in healthy fats and protein. Our carbohydrate intake was primarily seasonal from fruit and certainly not all year round in the amounts that we see today. Carbohydrate availability was uncommon in nature when we were hunter-gatherers. Around 10,000 years ago we had the onset of the agricultural revolution with the development of cropping and farming practices. Since then, our general health has deteriorated. The last century has seen an abundance of refined carbohydrate and processed food, and with that, our health has exponentially declined. Carbohydrates are unique in that we have biochemical pathways for them, even though we have no requirement to actually eat them in the first place. When carbohydrate is not available in the diet, the body will produce just enough for its requirements. When it has an excessive amount, the human body goes to great lengths to remove it from the bloodstream. And I'll repeat this, the human body goes to great lengths to remove carbohydrate from the bloodstream. We in fact do not have a safe transport mechanism for carbohydrate in the blood, and the presence of it in the bloodstream has toxicity, particularly in the amounts commonly eaten today. By contrast, the body maintains a safe and efficient mechanism of transporting protein and fat in the bloodstream in the form of lipoproteins. Those lipoproteins vary in size, density and proportion of protein to fat and are known by their particle names. Lipoproteins safely move fat and protein around the body. 
we do not have a safe and efficient method of transporting that excessive glucose apart from it just being dissolved in the blood. Therefore, anything beyond a normal blood glucose becomes the problem. Clearly, too much carbohydrate is harmful, but how much is the question? There are very few cells that only require glucose as their energy source. Those cells do not have mitochondria. Red blood cells and some cells in the lens of the eye and the thin cells in the loop of Henle in the kidney require glucose as their energy substrate. The small amount of glucose does not need to be eaten. Despite misconceptions, the brain is not dependent on glucose as its only fuel source. The brain has mitochondria and it will manage very well in a combination of lactate, ketones and glucose sourced from gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis gives us enough glucose for that cell activity and does not give us hyperglycemia. The body does not chronically overproduce glucose. Now, glucose is either eaten or created from breakdown of stored glycogen, glycerol and triglycerides or via protein conversion in gluconeogenesis. The created glucose is for metabolic need and is not produced for excess. That is left to our ingested consumption. Glucose is absorbed from the gut and then distributed around the body under the direct effect of insulin. The excess glucose requires immediate removal from the circulation. When those processes fail, we drift into diabetes. Insulin is the major hormone moving glucose out of the bloodstream and into the tissues. A chronic excess glucose load results in hyperinsulinemia. And there are detrimental effects of a chronically elevated insulin secretion and for those susceptible, lipedema. Insulin had multiple benefits to us from an evolutionary standpoint and particularly in its use as a fat storage hormone. Modern society, however, now has a plentiful supply of food and the evolutionary benefit of insulin is no longer required. The chronic elevated secretion of insulin comes with an entire set of problems. Insulin is secreted by the pancreas when we have an excessive carbohydrate intake and primarily stores that excess as fat. In those susceptible, possibly more than 11% of women, that insulin excess can develop into fat storage as found in lipedema. Leslin Keith's 2020 article is a great overview of lipedema and options in management, obviously about reducing that insulin state by reducing carbohydrate intake. She and her team discuss the role of ketogenic diets. Insulin also depletes magnesium, which is required in multiple biochemical pathways. Higher levels of insulin reduce vitamin D activity. In a just-released study, 40 patients with lipedema were tested and two-thirds had significant depression and anxiety. 77% of the overall group being vitamin D deficient. We don't know if that's cause or effect, but it's obviously all interrelated. It all comes down to biochemistry. That dose appears to be just one teaspoon. I can see no reason for not reducing carbohydrates as an option for those that wish to try it. It will reduce your insulin load. And like all lifestyle changes, it's easier with Sam, my wife's term, support accountability and motivation. There are support groups and individual advice available. Thank you, Dr. Fetke. That was an amazing presentation and I learned quite a bit. Every time I listen to you, I learn quite a bit. And if you found this excerpt interesting, remember that you can purchase the recordings of this and all of the other amazing presentations from each of our virtual symposiums by visiting our website, lipedema-simplified.org and clicking on the Lipedema Symposiums button. 
And thank you to all of you, our listeners. If you haven't already subscribed to our daily flash briefings of tips, tools, and research about lipedema, you can subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, or here at this website, lipedema-simplified.org slash flash, where you'll find an archive of all of our flash briefings. You can now also follow Living Well with Lipedema on Amazon Music and get new episodes when they become available. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time for another Living Well with Lipedema Flash Briefing. 